was Robin Davidson's The Tracks and it was fascinating. It was a book I read about, oh, it must have been about 20, 25 years ago when she wrote it. And to hear somebody speaking about a book that's influenced my thinking and influenced the way a woman looks at her autonomy, perhaps, and what subsequently happened in my own life. Yeah, great. It was a great session. And some interesting questions were generated too, which also led to more information coming from Robin about her life and her thinking. I just saw this one here, and relying on my memory here, it was on judging book prizes. I thought the three panellists were, were very eloquent, and the interviewer was really, very eloquent, and I don't read books, and I found it fascinating. So it's more of a reader's festival for me, yeah. A listener's festival, there you go. Philip Nitschke. It was very interesting. Very, it was more about his memoir, so it was his life. Um, started up this morning with uh, Andrea Goldsmith and they were all shocked that there was a, a full house on the first session of a, of a writers festival. Said it would never happen in Melbourne but so we were all pretty proud of that, you know. Then what else have I seen? Something else there? Oh, Hannah Kent, Burial Rights. I mean, so articulate, young woman, fantastic. So, um, and still Richard Flanagan to see, so what a day. What more can you say? He's the most people. I'm the mug. It's okay. Come on, Ian, come back in here. Come on, come on, come on. I'm the great unwashed. Men again. Move over towards him. There we are. There we are. You've got us all. Sorry. Yes. Well, um, we were just discussing and saying, the, for a start, the person who uh, conducted the interviews, we were very impressed by. We were very impressed by the, the questions he asked, um, the flow that he had, the way he connected them, and the fact that he didn't use a note, just came right out of his head. Um, so that was one thing. And then the other thing we were discussing was the, um, well, just the level of scholarship and knowledge that the authors had or the judges had. So that was the second thing. And the third thing was it gives you a little insight, or gives you a big insight into um, what happens when people are judging things. And we were just talking in our most recent talk about uh, whether people who judge books like those people um, actually are judging them in a way that we can all understand. That is, we would actually go with the do. They, they choose a book which the general populace, the great unwashed, will actually like, or whether it's something at an elite level. That was what we were talking about at the end. And, and what have you all decided? I'm very much of the view that it's really interesting to hear these erudite judges who've got a massive background in, in uh, literature and books and so on. But we of the great unwashed, I think, um, are sort of left out of the process and that uh, the sort of books that they select in judges, in judging, um, aren't read by the great majority of readers and probably from my point of view aren't warranted to be read. I find them difficult to understand and um, so that's my view. Yeah. Well, everything these two gentlemen said I couldn't add to or subtract from so I'd be happy to leave it at that. I don't agree with that. 
I don't agree with Ian at all because I think a lot of people buy books, especially uh, for book clubs and so on. We're both in a book club, a men's book club, uh, and um, I think people say it's one the man Booker, it's one the Miles Franklin, it's one this. In fact, Ian himself has said, look, look at all the books we've written, they've run all these prizes. So I, in fact, we have had numbers of books in our book club which have won prizes, and he's forgotten that in a moment of demented. And they are, they are among the worst books we've had to read in the book club. Welcome to today's Guardian Australia Perth Festival podcast. Today we're here at Perth Writers Festival, uh, which is at the University of Western Australia. It's quite gorgeous. There's this lovely garden that we're in. It's late afternoon. Uh, there's a welcome breeze. And it's just filled with people sort of milling around between sessions uh, with authors. A really gorgeous atmosphere. Uh, bits of bunting, uh, lots of tents. Uh, I think it's going to be really great tonight. And do get down here this weekend if you can. Today on the podcast, we're going to be discussing our favourite shows of the Perth Festival and discussing some of the fringe shows we've liked as well. Uh, we're also talking to best-selling Australian author Hannah Kent about going from a punter at these festivals to a writer talking about her novel Burial Rights. I'm here with Alex Needham. Hello. Jane Howard. Hi. And Van Badham. Hi there. Alex, last night you went to see Olafur Arnolds and Sophie Hutchings. How was that? It was fantastic, actually. It was uh, it was a very beautiful, warm night in the um, festival Chevron Garden, and it was like a night of sort of piano and strings. I think it was probably quite uh, stressful for the performers because um, Olaf Arnold's piano tuner had been in a car accident, and uh, I think all the uh, the fact that it was sort of thirty degree heat meant that the piano kept going out of tune. But you wouldn't have known it from the performances. They were very kind of soothing, dramatic quite emotional and all the audi- the audience were actually um, in almost complete silence even in the bars there wasn't much talking it was a very reverent sort of hush but not in a not in a snooty way in a very kind of uh, in a sort of everybody was experiencing the same thing at once so it was great sounds gorgeous no, and I think Arnold gets everyone to sing a C together don't doesn't he and then he uses that in his music yeah that's how he how he started off he's a great performer I mean given that his uh, music in a way is, is beautiful and quite imposing in a way and sort of a little bit austere but as a person he was fantastic at talking to the audience it was a really sort of intimate experience and yes he started off uh, recording us on his uh, iPad, I think. He told us all to sing a note and everyone sang it and he sort of looped it and then played it underneath um, the first song that he did. And in between he was just talking about how he'd uh, written the songs. He said that one of them was uh, came out of a really bad hangover and that another one, <laughs> and that another one was, you know, started life as a, as a jingle for an advert. So it was funny. We had this very otherworldly kind of um, you know this sort of really beautiful music and then in between he was really down to earth but he didn't kind of ruin it at all it's, it was just a very kind of engaging and very it was just a very warm warm experience I would say. And we should say that if you don't think you've heard his music actually you possibly have because he did the theme for Broadchurch didn't he? He did yeah he did all the music for Broadchurch and he's, um, he's di- he did music for the Hunger Games I think he's getting a really gro- he's getting a growing reputation as a sort of a soundtrack um, uh, soundtrack composer, but as well as doing his own his own music, uh, yeah, he's he's really talent, he's really talented, and he's still only pretty young, I think. 
Uh, so Alex had a fantastic night last night. How was yours, Van? You went to Squid Boy. I did. I saw Squid Boy at Pika as part of the, the Perth Fringe. And I've got to say, I walked in not wanting to like it. I'm going to be very honest about Why that. Why didn't you want to like it, Van? Well, I'm, I think it's that thing that uh, there are performance forms that you get really saturated with. And there's been this massive mime, bouffon, clowning revival that's been taking place across the festival circuit for the past couple of years. And I've seen a lot of it and not all of it has impressed me. You get standout performers like Dr. Brown, who I think is a complete genius, um, but you do get a lot of stuff that's quite derivative and, you know, how many Lecoq or Galway shows can you see? And tell us what this show is about. This show is about a fisherman who has a dream that he's a squid and when he wakes up he's he's so in the dream that he can't tell if he's a fisherman dreaming about being a squid or a squid dreaming about being a fisherman and it sounds ridiculous and it is and that's the whole point and it's this extraordinary performer and this is the thing I didn't want to like it and he won me he owned me by the end of the performance his name is Trigvi Wakenfield he's from New Zealand he's about 15 feet tall with a big red beard he comes out dressed as a fisherman and turns into a squid he dances he leaps across the stage. He tongue kisses an invisible person. He do, he he cleans an invisible cow. He gets trapped in an invisible lift with an invisible dog that keeps farting. It is childish and silly and vulgar and camp. And it's just an unmissable night in the theatre. I loved it. Gorgeous. Uh, it runs till the 22nd, but unfortunately, everybody, it's sold out, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, Look, absolutely no surprise because he's he's great. He just wins you. He owns you. Once he force feeds an invisible sheep to an audience member, you're his for life. Jane, you were also at Fringe last night. You went to see This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things. I did. It's a really lovely cabaret performance. It was nice to go from these big investment uh festival shows into something which is just a singer and a keyboard and a ukulele in this old theatre, a cinema complex in the middle of Perth City. Uh, She's a 26-year-old cabaret performer from Melbourne and it's songs about that point in your life where you feel like maybe you're not quite an adult yet and really you should catch up. And one of the reasons that she lists in this show that she can't have nice things is because she buys nice lipstick and then she gets home and it's all over her handbag. And I actually got home last night and got my laptop uh, cord out of my bag and there was red waxy stuff all over it. And it was my lipstick that had melted all in my handbag. So I think I might have been the perfect person to go see that show. Hi, my name is Glad. I'm here at the Perth Artists Festival and it's my first time. I'm an 83-year-old and I certainly won't miss again. We're down here at the Writers' Festival and earlier today I caught up with South Australian author Hannah Kent. And Hannah's been writing for us this lovely journal of the Writers' Festival here at Perth. Um, Tell us a little bit about what's been going on, Hannah. It's all sort of really kicked off last night. I, um, I managed to get a ticket to see Lionel Shriver's opening address, which was... Fantastic. I, I was a bit, you know, I was really curious to, to hear what she had to say because the, the talk was sort of promised to be this, I guess, interrogation of literature and religion. And of course, Lionel Shriver is this sort of very much an atheist. And what started out really to be a consideration of why she hasn't included religious characters in her novels turned out to be this actually really deeply personal kind of reflection on her relationship with her, you know, preacher father. Um, So I really appreciated that. It's always nice when you get a little bit of, I guess, the author's life in their story. But then today it's all all started. I went to Margaret uh, Drabble this morning. She was amazing. And I I keep on walking around and hearing more people mention about how wonderful her session was this morning. And, um, And yes, it's just been going fabulously. The crowds are huge. I can't believe how many people are here. It's a really great lineup. 
actually. Yeah. It's a really fantastic lineup. Um, uh, Tom Keneally was talking this morning. Yes, Martin yeah, Amos is here tomorrow night. Um, it's really, you know, I've been sort of slightly taken aback, I think, by how good it is here. Oh, I just keep fangirling whenever I'm walking. I just keep on bumping into people who are just incredibly famous and wonderful. And it's, you know, it's lovely. It's really, really exciting. <laughs> Apart from you can't really be fangirl anymore. You could have been <laughs> fangirl kind of two festivals ago, maybe one festival ago. But um, now, you know, sort of within that space of a couple of years, you've gone from, from being a PhD student to mm. being a bestseller, really. I mean, it's it's been very surreal and overwhelming, but of course, it's a huge delight to to be able to come and speak at a, at a marvelous festival like this, and and be part of you know something that is, I don't know, enjoyed by just huge amounts of people, and it, and attracts you know all sorts of people from across the globe. It's it's lovely. There's I think a really strong sense of literary community here, and that's um that's hard to sometimes generate. So, no, it's great. So for those who don't know, Burial Rights uh, was Hannah's first book. You mm. did write it as part of your PhD. It yes. was nominated for a Guardian First Book Award. Mm. Um, and it's been phenomenally well received. Um, tell us a bit about that journey to getting your book published and then realising as well that it was going to be a success. That oh, you know. Gosh. I don't know if I'm even, even to this day reconciled or really believing of that. I am... Um, I started writing burial rights really as a doctorate, as, as in order to get my PhD qualification. It was part of my thesis in creative writing, and um, I, you know, researched this book for about two years, just all the time thinking of it as a means to getting, you know, a career in academia. And then I went to Iceland, did more research, came back, wrote a first draft, and then I kind of left it there, thinking, you know, I've still got to go off and do other research for my exegesis. And then one day, a supervisor said you know, maybe you should enter it into this new award, the Writing Australia Unpublished Manuscript Award. And I saw it, Not, I never really expected to win at all. I just really thought it might be a good excuse to get a second draft done. And you know, so I did I did a second draft in a matter of days and popped it into the award and then had the very great fortune of winning it. And from that point, you know, these, it all escalated pretty quickly. I, uh, I managed to get an agent and who, after I drafted the book a few more times, sent it out. And the response from publishers was... Um, we didn't we didn't have to wait around very long before we got some offers which was hugely gratifying and again very surreal and from there it's just people have really responded to the story and to the characters and while I like to you know I'd, I would hope I could take credit for some of that but I also think it's just a fascinating period of Icelandic history and a lot of people are drawn to that particular country so no I've been very lucky and I, I keep on pinching myself about it all. Because it's not an Australian story in any way, no. is it? It's sort of 17th century Iceland, is that right? Early early um, 19th century. Early 19th yeah, century. Yeah, so um, around 1829, that's when most of the book is set. No, it's completely different. And I think that maybe also grabs people's attention a little bit because, you know, I'm just basically a kid from South Australia and it seems a very bizarre choice for a debut novel, which it is. I completely appreciate that. But, um, but yeah. And so it's been optioned for a film. It's going to be made into a movie, yeah? It has, yes. So it's still very early days, um, but Lionsgate have taken it on, and um, and Jennifer Lawrence and Gary Ross have are interested in the project and certainly affiliated with it and committed. So isn't that crazy? <laughs> that Jennifer Lawrence is going to be like making your book uh, into a film. To be honest, it's just super weird. I um, you know, it's you can kind of appreciate it as a fact, but it really hasn't hit home yet. Otherwise. I, I don't know it's just it's just on another level altogether and you know I'm a huge admirer of her of her work and also Gary Ross and Ali Shearmer who was the producer who was f first interested in it but again I mean they're all in LA I'm as I said a kid from South Australia it doesn't really add up. 
And will you be involved in um, moving it from book to screenplay or is that somebody else's job? No, no. I think, you know, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, I'm, I'd be rather reluctant to be involved. I always see it as, you know, if you're selling the film rights, you're giving other people the opportunity to make it their own and you should give them the space for that. And also, you know, I've, I've had my time with this story. It's, I'm happy for other people to apply their own creative vision. Um, I think I'm more than happy to be available and I've told them this as, a, I guess, a consultant. So, you know, we can hopefully get some historical detail right and things like that. But no, it's very much out of my hands, which I'm happy with. <laughs> and tell me about a uh, second book. Is that on the way? How, is that are you it starting? Is. Yeah, I've um, I've been had the great fortune to be able to spend a lot of time travelling and promoting burial rights, and I've really enjoyed that. Um, but it is a very different thing to do. Rather, it, it requires a very different mindset to actually sitting down in your room. In my case, in my pajamas most days, and writing all by yourself. And so, while I've really enjoyed the time that you know the prom promotional duties have taken. Um, it has taken me a little bit to, I guess, realign everything and get that creative headspace back. And I'm actually about to go do um, some more paperback tours in the UK and also in the US. So hopefully when I get back, that's writing time. I'm looking forward to it. We're looking forward to it too. Look forward <laughs> to reading it. Thanks so much for joining us, Hannah. Thank you so much. Hannah has two sessions at the Writers' Festival still to come. You can catch her on Saturday or Sunday. And if you want to hear what she's making of it all, head on over to theguardian.com slash au to read her festival diary. This is our final podcast from Perth Festival this year. So before we go, we're going to ask our critics what their favourite moment of the festival has been. Uh, let's start with you, Jane. What's yours? I am still absolutely smitten with the house where Winter lives. Uh, I have snow all over where I'm staying and it's just it's made me smile all day. Um, Punch Drunk, of course, a brilliant UK company and they brought their kids show here. Let's hope they come back with one of their adult shows because they're quite mind-blowing. Oh, absolutely. I've been waiting for them to come and bring one over. Uh, Van, what's your what's uh, been your favourite highlight? Well, actually, my I've liked everything I've seen, which is amazing. But my highlight is an artwork, acrylic on linen, in Richard Bell's exhibition Embassy, called White Hero for Black Australia, and he's done a screen um, print image of the moment at the 1968 Mexico Olympics, where Tommy Smith and um, John Carlos put their fists in the air to, you know, as a Black Power salute, and the third person on the podium, the silver medalist in the that 200 metre race was an Australian called Peter Norman who backed those guys and who as a white Australian who apparently was quite politicised against the white Australia policy totally supported and understood what the issue was and stood there in dignified silence while those black men like made their statement and it's a really proud moment as an Australian and a beautiful artwork that that he's celebrating. And if you want to read more about that you can do so at The Guardian where uh, Van has been talking to Richard Bell. Go to theguardian.com slash au. Alex, that leaves you. What's been your favourite moment? Well, I've actually not seen all that much uh, yet, although I'm here for another couple of nights, so I'm looking forward to Pond tomorrow. But I'd say that um, Olaf Arnold has been my favourite thing so far. So, Vicky, you've had a very up-and-down experience with artworks at the festival. You can give us your favourite or give us your worst. Go crazy. Well, the worst by some way is Red Bastard. I mean, whatever that business is about I don't think we need to go back into that but my favourites I mean it's a bit of a, I'm, I'm quite torn actually about my favourites um, I really did love The Midsummer Night's Dream As You Like It it was gorgeous and funny and witty and light and everything you want in A Midsummer Night's Dream actually um, 
but probably Situation Rooms because I like what it's trying to do. I really like its ambition. Uh, it doesn't quite pull it off entirely, but it's really challenging and it's doing something new and that's got to be great. So that really is it, I'm afraid, from Guardian Australia's Perth Festival podcast. I don't know how you're going to manage for the next few weeks, but do try to get by. We'll be back from Adelaide Festival next month. So it's just for me to say goodbye. Goodbye, Van Baden. Goodbye, Vicky Frost. Goodbye, Jane Howard. Looking forward to seeing you in the hometown. (laughs) Goodbye, Alex. (laughs) Bye. I'll see you back in Sydney. And we should say goodbye to Miles Martignoni, who has produced this podcast so beautifully this week. Thank you very much. That's all from the Perth podcast, though you can catch up with pictures, text, audio and video from this year's festival over at theguardian.com slash au. And we'll be back with the podcast from Adelaide Festival early next month. We look forward to seeing you then. Bye.